Hello again, everybody, and welcome to season two of Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We're so glad to be back after a little bit of a holiday break. Stephanie is here, not here, but here in uh, Oklahoma, but on my Zoom screen. And uh, Stephanie, how was your holiday? Oh, it was a great holiday. You know, it's so different in, it was in 2020, everything was so different, which meant that Christmas looked different too, but just really glad to be uh, even trying some new things that we did at the church this year and seemed to go well and, and also excited about 2021. How was your holiday? Very quiet. We did very quiet this year. Our son came home from college, our daughter's in Chicago and couldn't get away because uh, they're very much locked down and she would have had to quarantine for two weeks when she got back. And wow. so we had, we had a pretty quiet holiday, but, but a pretty good one. And, and uh, Paul Lawler is with us to talk missions today. Paul, since we're asking, how was your, how was your holiday season in, in Alabama? Well, uh, thank you for asking, Bob, Stephanie, just a delight to be with you today. Um, we had, the Lawler family had uh, a great time of getting together. Our, uh, my wife and I, we have four children. They're all young adults now, and one of them's married. Uh, we were able to get together with some extended family, social distanced at times, but it was a great holiday, a great time of uh, making memories with family. Oh, I'm so glad for that, and it really is a blessing. We, we do not take those times for granted, do we now? Right. So true. Well, I want to introduce you to our listeners today. So Paul Lawler is with us. He's the pastor of Christ Church in Birmingham. He's also the chair of the Wesleyan Covenant Association Task Force on Global Missions. And I'm really excited to hear about this today. I, I have looked over the, uh, the document that you guys have been working so hard on, I believe is about 86 pages, which to me was it just made me so grateful that there were so many of you that were willing to work so hard on something that is so important. So, Paul, I was going to have you just tell us a little bit about um, how you got connected to the WCA and, and then what brought you to chair this particular task force. Yeah, that, uh, well, those are great questions. Uh, first of all, um, I, like many of you, and I'm sure many that are listening, uh, you know, have been disturbed about the state of the United Methodist Church for uh, many decades. Um, even aside from the theological concern, which is the primary driver, um, I'm just having a little bit of uh, a sociology background as well. I was in advertising before I was in ministry. Uh, we're aware that movements are not movements without strong identities. And the United Methodist Church with theological pluralism uh, and, and not only uh, the, the extreme diversity of, of theologies, uh, you don't make at maximum impact without, and for lack of better terms, an edge in the sword. And so, uh, you know, like many of you, many that are listening, I've been concerned for years. So uh, I, too, along with a large contingency from our area of the country, uh, I was in Chicago um, at that first gathering a number of years ago. I believe that was June or July of 2016. And, and of course, uh, for all of us, this also stirred the formation of uh, deepening relationships around the country and around the world. And so to fast forward into your uh, second question, how did I end up serving and chairing this team? I think that would be related to... Um, 
uh, Christ Church, the church I have the honor of pastoring, uh, her global heart. Um, she has a commitment to intentionality around disciple making and uh, serving in the inner city, uh, uh, inner city Birmingham, just like many cities in America. There are some uh, real serious challenges, but also our commitment globally. We we have a commitment to plant 1,300 churches around the world. Uh, we have uh, a commitment to raise up 100 missionaries and send those out to primarily unreached people groups. Uh, and today we, we have missionaries serving in Africa, Asia, Eastern Europe, Middle East, Central and South America. And I, I, I would assume, even though this was never said, I would assume that, that there's a relationship between the incubator of what's happening in our own church family and, and Keith and, and others uh, asking if I would be willing to serve in this way. Uh, and so uh, that question was posed a little more than a year ago. And uh, I not only had the honor of stepping up, but I, I had a dynamic team uh, that stepped up as well. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit, Paul, because, you know, we launched these task forces. When was it? When we were in Tulsa, uh, 2019 and, um, and started to do the work. I know I led one on accountable discipleship. We started these six task forces. And in, in a year, we've been able to deliver a lot of this material, but we had a lot of people sign up and a lot of people want to be involved. So talk about how you formed your team and, uh, and how you went about your work. Well, great, great question. Um, there, there were, as we all know, uh, there were hundreds that expressed interest uh, in all of the dynamic people from around the country and around the world uh, in serving on all of these teams. Uh, but in this first phase, we really needed about um, 10 to 12 people who really could hammer in on some specifics um, of our task. And so uh, we began, uh, as you guys know, COVID hit not long after our work really began taking on some teeth. So we began meeting bi-weekly by Zoom and we had uh, representation uh, on our team and then sub-teams. We had probably 30 to 40 people who served on our sub-teams from around the world with African representation, uh, representation from the Philippines, Eastern Europe, um, as well as parts of Asia, Central South America. So um, we, we began our work and uh, as we did, we began uh, fleshing out a process for local churches to, to identify missional partners around the world uh, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel and discipleship, church planting and the expression of mercy ministry, as we know as Wesleyans, we we're a people who wed these two together, and um, and of course we, as we all know, uh, we do that out of biblical conviction. It's not like uh, we're making something up as we're going along. This has uh, been a deep and rich tradition in the church, going back to John Wesley. And then, uh, in addition to that, uh, we recognize for the church to be both awakened to her Great Commission DNA, uh, we, and as well as uh, both with revitalization and in new church plants, we need to, uh, to, to establish uh, modes of equipping church, the church to go to new levels in global mission. 
And so that's when we uh, begin to develop uh, some of these additional subteams that you see in the 86 uh, page report, which focus on global prayer initiatives. And if I could, I want to pause and say a word about that. Um, for, a church, for the church to awaken to our global task is heart work. Uh, you can't program the church into a new day. And so um, we knew in order for, for a, a global church to, to have a global heart, something's got to change in our heart and spirit, not only in this day, but in the days to come. And so we recognize where there's prayer, there's power. Where there's little prayer, there's little power. And out of our tradition, uh, we're aware the Moravians were praying for 100 years, uh, even before the Wesleyan movement was birthed. Uh, but most theologians and historians believe that there is a relationship uh, between those two, not only through Wesley's personal relationships, but just the fact that awakening took place after this period of prayer. So, so prayer is uh, something we gave attention to in terms of giving structure. And I'm, I'm going to fly at 30,000 feet right now. There's much I could bore into on that. But also uh, uh, equipping in cross-cultural gospel-centered community development, uh, equipping the local church in the best practices of global expression of mission in evangelism, discipleship, church planting, as well as helping churches go to through strategic initiatives in, in terms of going to new levels as Great Commission churches. Kind of think software with me, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, um, but we are, will be and already are uh, in the midst of beginning to design some prototypes uh, to help churches go to new levels uh, as they move forward through the years. So let me stop there. I hope I answered your question. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a ton there that, you know, we, we have so much to think about when we think about missions. And it, it brings up another question for me in the midst of this. And, and I know that one of the things that is a, is a question in the, in the United Methodist Church is really is what is global missions? What mm -hmm. is the goal for global missions? Because so often, you know, when people think about missions, they tend to go in one of two directions. They think about evangelism or they think about more physical, uh, taking care of physical need kind of, kind of things. So when you, when you all were talking about global missions, how did you kind of envision all those things kind of coming together? Because it's not an either or, I would assume. Well said. Um, Yes, and, and Bob, even the way you frame that question mirrors uh, much of our conversations uh, around this. So let, let me say on the front end, uh, I've used the term mercy ministries, um, and, and that encompasses everything from caring for the orphan to, to ministry to trafficking victims to uh, per, drilling a well, providing for those in phys with physical needs. And so we're, we're very aware, we're all aware, the, the scriptures are very clear that we're not to forsake the needs of our sisters and brothers or, or forsake the oppressed in any way. So let me affirm that uh, that is tethered uh, with all that we would seek to do in propagating the gospel of Christ. But let me answer the first part of your question. 
And, and that is, what's the aim of global missions? Well, let, let's go to the scriptures for a moment. Um, we recognize that when God begins to speak to Abraham and he says, I'm through you, I'm going to birth a great nation. Uh, we're mindful that that promise is tethered to the New Testament. Uh, that promise is tethered to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming through the nation of Israel uh, for all people. And so we, we get to the book of Revelation and we recognize that we see this culmination in Revelation 5 and 7 of every tribe, every tongue, every nation worshiping at the feet of Christ. And so the point is, is that our goal is to serve the purposes of God in awakening worshipers of Christ throughout all the nations of the earth. This is the goal of God. And so if this is the goal of God, or another way of putting it, the mission of God, then we want to align ourselves as a new Methodist denomination with being participants in the mission and goal of God for planet Earth, which is every tribe, every ethnic group, red and yellow, black and white, every, we know that when Jesus uses the term nation, he's not referring to geopolitical states. He's referring to every ethnic group, every ethne, as many of us are already aware, but we want to make much of that. And so that's the goal of God. And that's the goal we want to participate with God in as a people called Methodists. And so again, I'm going to pause. There's more I could say, but I want to be sensitive to uh, the fact that um, we're all sharing in this. So, <laughs> well, Paul, I think it's so interesting that you're that you bring that up as our goal. I love that when we think about every tribe, every nation, every tongue. One of the things I read in the report that was really shocking to me, and I thought I'm embarrassed. I didn't even know this as a pastor, but there are over six thousand people groups who have no access to the gospel. Yes. And I mean, you know, 6,000 people would be too, too many people, but 6,000 people groups. I mean, that, that's a lot of people in the world. I'll never forget when uh, a couple of years ago, we took a group from our church to uh, the museum of the Bible in Washington, DC. And I know I'll never forget walking into uh, one of the rooms there where it's just floor to ceiling uh, books and cases for books. But in this room, there are, there are books that have labels of people groups on them. And then there's an entire section of this room, way larger than the section of, that are labeled, that are not labeled at all. And that represents all the people groups who've never heard the gospel. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, wow, you know? And then another statistic was that 86% of the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't even know a Christian. Yes. And I thought, oh my goodness, that that is just startling information. So as you're talking about all this, as I think about that type of information, all that you're saying sounds so good to me. Like I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is exciting that that in the new Methodism, we get to be a part of this. But I'm sure for some of our listeners, they're thinking, okay, what's the difference between what we do now as the United Methodist Church and 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 then what we see as our new vision? For global missions. Can you touch on that? That is a great question. Thank, thank you, Stephanie. And also uh, the statistics that you lifted up, I, I think speak to the, the what and the why uh, mm -hmm. that we cannot be indifferent as Christians, particularly Methodist Christians mm -hmm. uh, for, at such a time as this. Um, but you ask a great question. First of all, um, and I want to be as... Um, 
how, how do I say this, kind-hearted as I, as I can be. Um, in our present iteration, there is not a burden um, uh, within our general board of global ministries uh, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to unreached people. And um, I, I'm not saying that there isn't a per there are people on staff that do care, but the overall ethos and missional pulses uh, in the present iteration of United Methodism is, does, is not very strong. In addition to that, people in the pews in United Methodism, uh, most of them don't even know the General Board of Global Ministries exists. Um, uh, the, the third thing I would add is uh, uh, there has been a tension over the years uh, bet between uh, the expression of, of mission with our, the General Board of Global Ministry and then some of our more um, um, gifted and shall I say traditionally orthodox or evangelical, not in a political way. When we use the word evangelical, we're not talking about the current political climate in North America, but, but classically evangelical Christians who want to see the propagation of the good news of Jesus Christ among all peoples. And that's, that's been a tenuous and tension-filled tension relationship at times. So uh, I, need to, I need to validate that to honor your good question. Uh, but in the new day, uh, we are looking to not only call forth, but empower people, get behind our missionaries, support our missionaries with prayers and resources uh, for the church to be aware of what's happening on the front lines, for churches to establish partnerships with missionaries where we know their names and we're, we're praying for them around our dinner tables. We're, we're resourcing them. We're, we're in it together. We may even, our, our church families may at times take short-term mission trips just to go and to be on the front lines and witness what they're doing, what their lives are like, and do that in a way that's supportive to them and not taxing to them. But, um, and now I'm flying again at 30,000 feet when I'm responding to your question. There are particulars that we are ironing out in terms of what that looks like structurally. Um, and I can bore down into that more, but I'm, but again, I want to be sensitive that this is a conversation. Now, this is a dialogue, not a monologue. So. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 as I read the report, the one thing that stood out to me, and, and tell me if I'm reading this right, is that what we're not looking at is creating a large bureaucratic mission structure from, at the denominational level, but rather really focusing on dealing with existing mission partners and mission groups that are out there and kind of vetting those and then making them sort of under a larger umbrella of ministries that we engage with and support. So, so for example, if I decided to become a, or if I felt a call to become a missionary, I might not become a missionary of the new Methodist church. I might go through, say, just to use an example, TMS Global, uh, which came out of sort of that split of the, of the, from Global Ministries um, back when I was in seminary. I remember when that happened in the early 90s. So am I envisioning that right as I 
read the report and I've had a chance to look at it quite a bit because we talked about it in WCA council as well. Yeah. Yeah. Bob, you're nailing it. And uh, the advantages of this uh, have multiple layers. One, uh, for global mission to be really effective, particularly uh, in a new Methodist denomination, we need to be nimble. Uh, we, we need to have a flexible wine skin. Uh, and what the advantage uh, or one of the advantages of having global missional partners like TMS Global, and I want to go on record for those that are listening, if we're not mentioning your mission organization, that does not mean that you're excluded, uh, that uh, because we're in the early days of a pilot program of, of vetting organizations. Um, and so don't misread this, these comments, but using the example Bob gave, whether it was TMS Global, OMS, WGM, that, that these are Wesleyan partners that you would, you would go through their vetting process. These organizations go through our vetting process and that keeps you in motion to be empowered to get to the front line uh, without us creating a top heavy bureaucratic system that becomes dependent on some heavy apportionment formula to begin funding massive staff. So we can do this more efficiently with, by utilizing uh, the, the gifts and the graces and the uh, organizations that have already been raised up that are doing an effective job. So great question. And, and following up on that, if a local church then says, well, we really have a heart for this particular area right now, and you're, you, you can do that, you know, give to that or support that specifically in the, in the existing United Methodist Church, but, but we're really saying that local churches are going to have a whole lot more say and, and play with where their mission dollar goes because they have so many more options than just what, what is presented denominationally. Bob, you're, you're hundred percent right. And is it okay if I share one more comment related? Absolutely. To yeah. Okay. Imagine, imagine a day where, um, and what I'm about to say would not only be true for North America, but this would be true for every continent around the world in global Methodism. Imagine a day where what you said is true. But in addition to that, I am receiving equipping at my district meeting or whatever the case may be that I get excited about taking my people to. And I'm being equipped, not as in terms of my church family, quality equipping in how to share the gospel, how to make disciples, quality equipping in how to share the gospel, make disciples cross-culturally if and when I go on a short-term or mid-term mission trip with one of our missions partners around the world, my local church is receiving equipping in how to grow in expressing the Great Commission, uh, all uh, in an atmosphere where people are also being trained to pray. Uh, so, so, you know, what we're seeking to do is be holistic. The other thing I want to add before, before we go over, real quick, uh, is that in that holistic expression, we want to move in a way where it complements and flows with the other ministry task forces so that it's all moving holistically, where, where it's, it's not so much about one silo, but what we experience with our equipping for global mission also complements what we're learning in discipleship, what we're learning in ministry to the margins, what we're learning in church revitalization, what we're learning 
in uh, ministry to young people. So I'll stop there. But that, there's an intentionality that we're trying to express where every, it, it raises the water level for the whole picture. Okay, so I want to throw a, a question at you that may not be at the forefront of everyone's mind, but but I find it rather interesting. So I'd love to hear your take on it in light of this, uh, in light of the task force you've been working with. So do you think there will be any type of reverse flow of missionaries now that there's so much secularism in North America? Do, do you see as a result of this that it's not totally just uh, North Americans reaching out around the world, but maybe it's people reaching out to North America as well. What, what do you see about that? Yeah. Uh, well, Bob and Stephanie, I want to compliment you first for asking very good questions. Um, uh, yes, uh, but the, the thing that we want to note is that that already is happening. And I'm, I am confident you guys are aware of that. Our, many of our listeners are. Uh, as simple as a Google search, every major city in America, you can Google phrases like Nigerian church, Ethiopian church, Indian church, and we already see these indigenous expressions all over North America now in which persons have come from respective countries to plant new churches in North America. Many of these are very vibrant. The other thing that's exciting uh, in responding to this good question, is, is that many of these churches have a very healthy pneumatology uh, and that we Wesleyans can really appreciate and we can align with. I don't mean in a formal denominational way, but what I mean by that is all of us are carrying a deep burden for our country right now. Uh, and while God has a heart for all nations, uh, we, we love this when we're born here, at least for the three of us talking but I, I know many of our listeners are across the nation and around the world, and I'm, a, I'm certainly sensitive to that. But just to, to, to be aware that there already are those that are coming here, I cannot help, this is speculative, to think as diverse as Methodism is globally, not as much here in North America as it should be, but as diverse as North America is globally and as North America is increasing in her diversity, uh, as we're all aware with multiple ethnicities, particularly in our large cities, that we will have the opportunity of fostering, and I'll call it a new day of cross-pollinization. And that is believers from around the world coming and being very strategic in, in stirring disciple-making and church planting in American cities. Uh, uh, and, and also, uh, we continue to do that into many parts of the world from North America. But it is a, a both-and. A lot of missiologists use the phrase, uh, from, from everywhere to everywhere, uh, being the new day of missions that we're in. But I think that's only going to get more intense in a real God-honoring way. Uh, very good question. I don't know about my answer, but it was a good question. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's really great, and I think it's especially important because we we see so often in our in our culture now there's this kind of association of missionary movements with colonialism that that often kind of stifles the missionary impulse to some degree. But we're talking about really acknowledging the flow in, in two different directions, really a multicultural 
as you said earlier, as the scriptures say, every ethnos, you know, that becomes part of that, that whole idea of every tribe and tongue and nation drawing together, going in, in both directions. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I think acknowledging that is a, is a huge piece. How do we support those who, as Methodism grows in Africa, for example, exponentially, that more and more African missionaries may be coming here and uh, Filipino missionaries and, and so forth, because we, we will need that. There are places in our culture that need evangelization, perhaps even more, because we have to overcome a lot of bad catechesis and a lot of bad yes. theology that that other people groups may not have to overcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And um, I, I was going to just uh, piggyback off of that. Um, one of the things that is a is a seed idea that uh, we're having conversation around right now uh, is what we would call the Wesleyan Center for Global Mission. But I want to clarify, it won't, it would not be in one location. It would be translocal. Uh, and that is that it would have indigenous leaders, the best indigenous leaders on every continent, equipping the church um, in, in these areas that we've, we've mentioned. Um, and my, my point and what it's unto is that um, and, and again, I'm flying at 30,000 feet right now, but this would be unto fostering this cross-pollinization that we're talking about to, to uh, awaken the church in your culture, because we're all aware the gospel does travel most effectively along indigenous lines. But we're, we're also aware that uh, there, the, peop the easy places are taken, the 1040 window it's a hard, challenging place. Uh, we we want to train the whole world, the global church, to, to make forays into the 1040 window, but also, as we've been discussing, to cross-pollinate in east and west to, uh, because we all need each other. And so I'll, I'll stop there. Again, there's more I could say, but I want to be sensitive to our conversation. One of the things I want to reference uh, before we wrap up our time together is that there, under the section that was cross-cultural gospel-centered community development, which I know is a mouthful, but that was a really great section of this uh, document. And there was a, a quote from Dr. John Perkins, and I, I may botch the quote a little bit, so I won't do it verbatim, but it was basically to the point that when uh, we are not being in ministry with groups of people, we, we miss out on uh, what global missions truly is, that when we go to do ministry for them, we are missing out on them being a part of doing ministry together. And I just thought I'd ask you to touch on that type of vision uh, for global missions. First of all, Stephanie, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I was in conversation with some Methodist ministers or Methodist missionaries yesterday uh, who are in Southeast Asia, who are very conscientious of living among the unreached and not necessarily gravitating to the city in their country where most missionaries gather. Uh, and, and they like the familiarity of being able to speak English. And, um, but 
I, I would, without calling them by name, I don't have that per, their permission to do that. But I would say that we have Methodist missionaries that are great examples of getting uh, enculturated, living uh, an incarnational life among uh, the unreached and in which there are cultures that need multiple expressions of not only the gospel of Christ, but multiple expressions of helping the water level of a community rise out of poverty that's generational and ride, rise out of the cycles of mindsets uh, as well that, uh, that communities can go to new levels uh, when they take ownership uh, and they collaborate together. And so uh, one of the things that you're, uh, many of our listeners are aware of is that with gospel-centered community development, there's a sensitivity to what assets already exist in the community and how do we make sure that we're not uh, stepping into community, uh, community betterment rather than community development. And that is letting the community take ownership in helping standards and, and, and the flourishing of life to go to new levels. And so uh, these are things that we, we put in writing because we do want to be sensitive to. Um, uh, Bob, a moment ago, made reference to that old model of colonial style of missions. And I, I, I do want to pause and say, I don't know of an effective missions organization right now anywhere in the world that is functioning out of that model. Uh, I think that's been repented of uh, decades ago. And I know Bob knows that, but I want our listeners to know that. Um, particularly, I'm, I'm aware we probably have some skeptics listen, listening. And I, I just think it's important to validate that in terms of how mission is expressed, because there is a greater, a great degree of sensitivity to culture while we share the gospel and as we care and love for people and expressing mercy ministry as Christians. Really helpful stuff. And I, I, I was just sitting here thinking to myself, if, if I am a person who is feeling a pull toward uh, becoming a missionary, that there is going to be a lot of opportunity in the new Methodism and a lot of diverse opportunity in the new Methodism to, to do that. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's feeling that pull as we, as we get ready for this? Of course, we don't know formally when we're going to launch. We, we still have the great, the great purgatory. I know we don't technically believe in that, but it feels like <laughs> Uh, Corona tide, purgatory, whatever it is, we're all waiting for the next thing. But yeah. if I'm if I'm feeling called to missions and I want to do that in the new Methodism, what kind of advice would you would you give people to be working on right now, Paul? Well, first of all, you express yourself very well, Bob. I just want to say that. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, I, as I noted earlier, um, the Global Missional Partnership Task Force is currently. Um, on, we're on the eve of doing a pilot program of four to five missions organizations. And our objective is to have that pilot uh, completed before the global gathering at Fraser Memorial later this spring. And we all recognize in a, in a COVID world, uh, you know, I realize that may be postponed. We, we don't know yet. But uh, having said that, the point is, by the time we get to the global gathering dates, 
you would have four or five missions organizations that have been vetted and approved by the new Methodist denomination that you already could enter into formal relationship in the context of next steps of meeting criteria of being a, a missionary in the new Methodist denomination. And so uh, that, that your next step would be uh, affiliate with one of these approved ministries that comes out, comes out of the pilot program in, the, in a few months. So I hope that's helpful in terms of first steps. Now, I do wanna say that as we move forward, uh, we want to be um, uh, low control, high accountability. And what we mean is that uh, we want to see people empowered and be able to move forward with what God has placed in their heart. Um, but we do want to create systems where we're all accountable. I, I need accountability. We all need accountability. And so I, what, I, what I don't want to misrepresent is that it's not, we're not moving into a free-for-all, uh, but, but as we give this structure, um, uh, your first step would be affiliating with one of these organizations that has been vetted and approved, knowing that some additional structure will be created as we move forward. And we believe that will be life-giving structure, not uh, life-diminishing in any way. Well, Paul, I really cannot think of any other way, better way to have started out our season two for the WCA podcast. This has just been so helpful, uh, so grateful to you and all of the folks that put so much time and energy into this task force and helping to guide us in global missions in the new Methodism. So I just want to say a word of thanks to you and to all of your team for doing that. And thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you, Bob. It's been an honor. God bless you both and all those that are listening. And may God put his grace on all that is before us. So, Paul, if people are interested and have questions about missions in particular, how can they reach you? Uh, you can reach me at P. Lawler, L-A-W-L-E-R, at Christ Church Beham, C-H-R-I-S-T-C-H-U-R-C-H-B-H-A-M, Dot com. And uh, it would be a delight to assist anybody that's listening if they want to move forward uh, or know more about uh, what's emerging as we step into the days ahead. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes. And uh, you might notice that we'll have a new logo for season two. We're very excited about that. Uh, we're, we're really excited, Katie, at the um, at the WCA office is putting that together for us. So we're very excited about that. And, um, and make sure that you are leaving us a good review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't like the show, leave us a good review because that does help to push traffic to the show. And if you have questions or ideas for upcoming episodes, you can uh, email us at podcast at wesleyandcovenant.org. We are hoping, especially in these first couple of months, to have on folks like Paul who have been leading some of our task forces so that you can, you can hear all the work that's being done in the background, the amazing work that's been done in the space of just over a year. And in fact, most of the task forces have completed their work even before the year mark was out. So it's really amazing how this is coming together so quickly. And I get to hear the reports sitting on WC, WCA Council 
And I got to tell you, every time there's a new report, it just, it just gets me pumped up for what's coming because it's not the same old stuff. This is not your, your great grandparents Methodism, at least not in the structural sense. Hopefully it will be in the theological sense, but not in the structural sense. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for joining us. Thank you again, Paul, for joining us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here again on our next episode, uh, which will be on church planting with Reverend Steve Cordell, who is leading the task force on church planting, uh, church planting and missions going together. Great stuff. And we're looking at how we're going to impact this world for, for the gospel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. We'll see you back here again next time on Holy Conversations, the, the WCA podcast. Thank you.